How you doing? This is Sam Tolley. For the last four weeks, I've been on a series concerning Dr. Martin Luther King. And it actually started in late January. And it really, <laughs> it was what you could what call an organic situation. It was never my idea to do a series on Dr. King at all uh, until I read an article by a gentleman named Virgil Walker, who I explained in the first series. And he had this article that wasn't very complimentary of Dr. King's theological position. So I, uh, <clears throat> I didn't want to read his article, which I found extremely interesting because the first thing that will come out of people's mind or their mouths is that this article was, you know, this guy, this is his opinion. How does he know? So it was my contention that the best thing to do is to always try to look at the direct source. And I read two articles over this last two weeks. I, I, I studied these two articles by Dr. King that he wrote, or these two papers rather, that he wrote in college. And, and not in college, but in his uh, seminary classes. And the first was the humanity and deity of Jesus Christ. And the second was what experiences of Christians living in the early Christian century led to the Christian doctrine of the divine sonship of Jesus, the virgin birth and the bodily resurrection. Now, I acknowledge up front that I was not here to discuss or to delve into Dr. King's private life. There had been accusations of infidelity and things like that. I wasn't getting into that. And I wasn't um, here to besmirch or denigrate uh, his civil rights work. Uh, I think he did a lot of good work, <clears throat> but I was here to examine his theological positions. And as I laid out my premises um, based on his um, work at school, I invited anyone to please show me documentation. It could be a, a sermon that I could look up or another pieces of work that outlined a change in theology from him. Uh, because what I, what I read was quite disturbing. And um, I would have loved for him to have changed his position. Um, because the assumption that most people have when they hear the name Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, the Baptist minister um, who led the civil rights movement and was at one time the, the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, that he was a Bible-believing Christian. Based on these documents that he wrote, he wasn't. He didn't believe in the sonship of Jesus Christ. He didn't believe in the virgin birth, and he didn't believe in the resurrection. And I'm saying, this is stuff that he wrote. You know, these are things that he said, and you can go through uh, part one, two, three, and four, and I go over it with great detail. I'm not going to go over it now. I'm going to try to deal with this last section, but based on those two papers, it appeared to me that his ideology was that Jesus was a great man and we should espouse to greatness. We should espouse like to, to be as good a human being as possible. And we should, but I don't understand how anyone, um, can accept or think that Christianity is real 
if you don't believe in the miraculous. And from the position that he laid out, he did not believe in the miraculous. You know, um, and, it, and it's startling to me. Well, it was startling to me. But now there are other things that make sense to me. Things that didn't make sense to me before. Um, I didn't understand how a man uh, of his position could have followers. Like, for example, Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson, from my understanding, was in the 70s. And this was after Dr. King died. Was supposedly pro-life. But he, in the 80s, morphed on to a pro-abortion position. Some say it was because he wanted to run for office and the Democratic Party was about pro-abortion. And I, my, my thought process is that the Bible explicitly is against murdering the unborn. You go to Psalms 139.13 where God said he, he made us in the womb. Or you go to Jeremiah chapter 1 where he said he knew him before he was born. But these people have this mindset that it isn't conducive um, to a, what a Bible believer would believe. And, you know, with Dr. King, um, I have to just tell the truth as I see it. Now, I... Um, I don't know if I was suffering from cognitive dissonance because there was what I'm getting ready to get into this, this evening. And I pray this is, I'm done with Dr. King after tonight, as far as me creating videos or doing podcasts, but I wrestled with this, but I had to present this. I couldn't get around it. And that's why I entitled this Martin, Margaret and you. And the Margaret I'm talking about is Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. You know, Planned Parenthood is the largest killing, baby killing organization in the United States. They perform the most abortions. And I, let me, let me, let me, let me clear myself. I did a video uh, when Hillary Clinton was running and getting ready to run for president. And I excoriated her about her relationship with Planned Parenthood and her acceptance of the Margaret Sanger Award for the year 2009. And I want Black people especially to understand that Margaret Sanger was an enemy of Black people and how could they support a woman like Hillary Clinton who supported Margaret Sanger and accepted that award? So I want to show you about three minutes of a clip of a video that I made concerning Hillary Clinton at that time. And then I'll get back with you. So let's see if we can make this work. About a little bit more than three minutes and I'll get back to you. Take a look at these two ladies. They are very important ladies. The one on the right is familiar to everyone. Hillary Rodham Clinton, the Democratic nominee for President of the United States. Just about everyone should be familiar with who she is. But not everyone is familiar with the lady on her left. This lady is a very important lady as well, and an extremely powerful one. Her name is Cecile Richards. She is a president of Planned Parenthood, the largest abortion provider in America. This lady and Mrs. Clinton are standing together during the uh, Margaret Sanger Award. Listen to what Margaret Sanger had to say about black people at one time. We should hire three 
or four colored ministers, preferably with social service backgrounds and with engaging personalities. The most successful educational approach to the Negro is through a religious appeal. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is a man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. Now listen to what Mrs. Clinton had to say about Margaret Sanger. I have to tell you that um, it was a great privilege when I was told that I would receive this award. Uh, I admire Margaret Sanger enormously. But Cecile... Okay. So, I didn't hold anything back telling people about that because Margaret Sanger, uh, she was one of the founders of uh, Planned Parenthood. Um, Planned Parenthood most of their abortuaries are located in minority areas. You can go back into the history with Margaret Sanger spending time uh, at a Ku Klux Klan rally. She was a speaker there. She was also uh, one of the founders of eugenics, talking about making sure that feeble-minded or, or the wrong people didn't live. Uh, you know, this, this woman had a lot of racist connotations about it to the point where two a couple of years ago Planned Parenthood decided that they wanted to change the name of their building uh, for her. Look at this little clip from a news article regarding Margaret Sanger. Parenthood of Greater New York is removing the name of pioneering birth control advocate Margaret Sanger from its clinic in Lower Manhattan. The group says that Sanger has long provoked controversy because of her support for eugenics, a movement to promote selective breeding that often targeted people of color and the disabled. Sanger was one of the founders of Planned Parenthood of America more than a century ago. The clinic on Bleecker Street in Soho will now be known as the Manhattan Health Center. Now, Parenthood of Greater New York is... Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, it's interesting that Planned Parenthood want to get rid of the name of Margaret Sanger. It, it just dawned on me. Remember about like a year or two ago when they had this rush all over the country to get rid of statues, particularly in the southern states of uh, Robert E. Lee and all these Confederates and all these people like this. Uh, they, you know, because these people were evil or whatever. I was totally against that. I'm still totally against that. And the reason being is this. When I was growing up as a child, I was told that the Republican Party was a party of slavery, that the Republicans hated black people. And they still tell, they tell that Republicans hate black people. You know, so most of my my black friends, we grew up thinking that we associated the Ku Klux Klan, we associated Jim Crow, we associated all this stuff with the Republican Party because the news media never told us the truth and we didn't learn anything at school. Well, now the truth has come out. Many of us have did our own research and we found out, in fact, that it was the Democrat Party was behind all of it. It got to the point where once we start saying, hey, wait a minute, it was a Democrat party in charge of slavery and Jim Crow and stuff. They, these people were so blatant with their lies, they'll say, well, yes, it was. But in 1964 or 68, when, when Nixon was running, they switched sides. And I mean, think about that. They switched sides. Why would the winners decide to be losers? Why would the Republicans who were on the side of Abraham Lincoln and freeing the slaves and they won decide, oh, well, gee, we'll, we'll go on the enemy side. Why would they do that? It, it makes no sense. And for that matter, why would the Democrats who lost hundreds of thousands of people decide to switch sides and pretend like, no, they're the good guys? It's, it's like playing Ring Around the, the, the Rosies or, or Musical Chairs. So when they got rid of the statues, it makes it easier to change history down the line.
But if the evidence is still there, yeah, that was that was Lee. You know, he 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 wasn't really a bad guy in most areas, but he was the general of the Confederate. He was the one trying to help keep the, the, the system in place. That was Stonewall Jackson. That was this guy. That was Jefferson Davis. All this stuff. But anyway, getting back to Hillary, excuse me, getting back to Martin, Margaret, and you. The reason why I jumped all over Hillary is because, like I said, Margaret Sanger was evil. And it's like, why would you support this woman? Now, I want to show you one more video clip that was taken like about four years ago. Um, and this was about four minutes long. I think it was like from a video, excuse me, a Catholic organization about Planned Parenthood trying to celebrate Black History Month, but they try to ignore their founder. Hold on again. Let's try this one. Planned Parenthood is publicly commemorating Black History Month while turning a blind eye to what the organization's very founder remarked about race. That's this week's Speak Out segment. In a series of recent tweets, Planned Parenthood President Dr. Lena Wen praised black employees and supporters of Planned Parenthood, including one of her predecessors, the organization's former president, Faye Waddleton. But Wen's posts overlooked Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger's writings on race. In her autobiography, Sanger wrote that she spoke at a 1926 Ku Klux Klan rally. She characterized her lecture there as a success, writing, quote, I believed I had accomplished my purpose, and that, quote, a dozen invitations to speak to similar groups were proffered. In a 1939 letter to Dr. Clarence Gamble, Singer wrote that to expand her efforts, colored ministers should be hired to help them make their case. Here are her words, listen to this. The most successful educational approach to the Negro is through a religious appeal. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. This disdain for African-Americans is not just a stain in the organization's past, it is ongoing in their work today. Black babies are aborted at a disproportionate rate in the U.S. population. According to the Centers for Disease Control, abortion rates in 2008 for non-Hispanic black and Hispanic teenagers were two to three times higher than the rates for non-Hispanic white teenagers. The fact Planned Parenthood claims to celebrate Black History Month while not acknowledging these facts speaks to its hypocrisy and lies. Do not trust Planned Parenthood and do not fall for their propaganda, not during Black History Month or for any month for that matter. Well, like I said, uh, Planned Parenthood want to get away from Margaret Sanger, their founder. But the reason why I'm talking about this, and when I mentioned cognitive dissonance, some time ago, I don't I don't remember when. Maybe I tried to get it out of my brain. I come to find out that Martin Luther King also received the Margaret Sanger Award. And the truth be told, he received the very first one in 1966. He received it the same year that she died. And I, I think that in my mind, I was trying to think, oh, well, maybe he was deceived or whatnot when he got this award. He, he didn't know better. Um, I know his niece uh, thinks that he was deceived some kind of way and that he didn't go get it personally, but he sent his wife to get it. He sent his wife and she, in fact, read his speech. And Planned Parenthood has the Martin Luther King acceptance speech for the Margaret Sanger Award on their website. And that's where I got it. And that's what I'm going to read. That's why um, I think 
we have people, these, these liberal ministers that claim that they're Christians, but they support killing the unborn. People like um, Senator Warnock. And Senator Warnock and not just any senator. Senator Warnock, let's get a picture of him up here for you to see. trying to get it. Hold on. Hold on a second. I'm going to have to get me out to get him in. Well, Warnock said no. He said that he he believed abortion was right and a good thing. So he refused to do it. And so now people like Warnock, people like Jackson, people like Sharpton, all these people, there's a some there's a bunch of them that claim that they're ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, claim that they represent that cross behind me. At the same time, claim that at killing babies in the womb, homosexual marriages, and all these other things that the Bible finds blasphemous are acceptable. Because I believe, just like Dr. King, these people didn't take the word of God seriously. So as my final thing with Dr. King's Hopefully, I want to read his speech to Planned Parenthood, the acceptance speech that his wife uh, read for him. And it said, Mrs. Here, let me get it up there so you can look at it too as we go. <clears throat> uh, let's get Warnock out of here. Let's get me up here. Um, and let's get that thing. I'm going to uh, skip all this preliminary stuff and go right to the meat. I'll start with Mrs. King. Um, Mrs. 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 Clarita Scott King, King delivered her husband's acceptance speech on his behalf. Before reading Dr. King's speech, let me just make this bigger here. And then maybe I can just read it off the TV monitor. Okay, <clears throat> I am proud tonight to say a word in behalf of your mentor and the person who symbolizes the ideas of this organization, Margaret Sanger, because of her dedication, her deep convictions, and for her suffering for what she believed in, I would like to say that I am proud to be a woman tonight. Planned Parenthood is proud to reprint Dr. King's acceptance speech. Family planning a special and urgent concern by the Reverend Martin Luther King. Okay. Let's see what we got here. Recently, the press has been filled with reports of sightings of flying saucers. While we need not give credence to these stories, they allow our imagination to speculate on how visitors from outer space would judge us. <clears throat> I am afraid they would be stupefied at our conduct. They would observe that for death planning, we spent billions to create engines and strategies for, let's change this page here, war. They would also observe that we spend millions to prevent death by disease and other causes. Finally, they would observe that we spend paltry sums for population planning 
even though its spontaneous growth is an urgent threat to life on our planet. Where did he get that from? The Bible says that we are supposed to fill the earth. So this, this threat of overpopulation, this global warming, this threat that we are dangerous to the earth, been going on for a long time. And apparently Dr. King uh, thinks that we overpopulate the earth. If God said to fill the earth and he's gave us all these resources to live in the earth, don't you think he knows what he's doing? Okay. Our visitors from outer space could be forgiven if they reported home that our planet inhabited by a race of insane men whose future is bleak and uncertain. There is no human circumstance more tragic than the persistent existence of a harmful condition for which a remedy is readily available. What is the remedy he's talking about? He, he never gets specific, specific. Family planning to relate population to world resources is possible, practical, and necessary. Unlike plagues in the dark ages or contemporary diseases, we do not yet understand the modern plague of overpopulation is soluble by means we have discovered and what resources we possess. You know, I used to, when I was growing up, I used to believe this nonsense that we're overpopulated. The fact of it is, is just a whole lot of us like to live in these little enclaves, these cities. I remember driving from uh, Pasadena to Las Vegas. And between there, there's so much land. There's no way in the world we're overpopulated. There's land that could be irrigated, land that people can live in, land that we can grow stuff. And don't tell me we can grow in the desert because I lived in Palmdale, Lancaster for many years. And now I live in another desert in Arizona. We are not overpopulated. We might be overpopulated in a small cluster of area, but we got plenty of land space for people. And if we're going to trust in what God said, I'm talking to the Christian now. He told us to fill the earth. He didn't tell us to try not to fill it. And he told us to subdue it. Basically, he said, look, I'm giving you a place to live. And I'm giving you all the resources you need to live in it. Now we got an ideology that's running around here that, oh, we got to save the planet. We got to get rid of fossil fuels. We, we, we got to use wind and, 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 and electric batteries. And these dadgum electric cars are more polluted than gas cars. It, it, it costs more pollution to build one of them suckers. And if they catch on fire, you can't put the fire out. And then the, re, the resources that are used to make these, these gigantic batteries, and then you're going to have stuff that you can't even do the landfill. And as far as these turbines, these things are made with stuff that isn't biodegradable. that has to be replaced. This is nonsense. When God gave us coal, God gave us oil, God gave us gas. God gave us nuclear. Why aren't we just relying on what God gave us and trusting in him? Because we've become a society that don't want to believe in God. We want to believe in man. Anyway, uh, what is lacking is not sufficient knowledge of the solution, but universal consciousness of the gravity of the problem and education of billions who are its victims. It is easier for a Negro to understand a social paradox because he has lived so long with evils that could be eradicated but were perpetuated by indifference or ignorance. The Negro family had to devise unique methods to deal with this problem. And perhaps the measure of success he is realizing can be an inspiration to others coping with 
tenacious social problems. In our struggle for equality, we were confronted with the reality that many millions of people were essentially ignorant of our conditions or refused to face unpleasant truths. The hardcore bigot was merely one of our adversaries. The millions who were blind to our plight had to be compelled to face the social evil their indifference permitted to flourish. After centuries of relative silence and enforced acceptance, we adapted a technique of exposing the problem by direct and dramatic methods. We had confidence that we that when we awaken the nation to the immorality and evil of inequality, there would be an upsurge of conscience followed by remedial action. Dr. King, looking for the government to solve problems that only man can solve with the assistance of God. We knew that there were solutions and that the majority of the nation were ready for them. Yet, we also knew that the existence of solutions would not automatically operate to alter conditions. We had to organize not only arguments, but people in the millions for action. Finally, we had to be prepared to accept all the consequences involved in dramatizing our grievances in the unique style we had devised. There is a striking kinship between our movement and Margaret Sanger's early efforts. Well, Margaret Sanger's early efforts were to get rid of people, were to uh, sterilize people, were to control breeding, you know, give people licenses where you can get married, but you got to get a license to have kids. Or maybe we can put these feeble-minded people in some kind of farm area where we keep them isolated. These human weeds, as they were. Um, she, like we, saw the horrifying conditions of ghetto life. Like we, she knew that all of society is poisoned by cancerous slums. Like we, she was a direct actionist a nonviolent resistor. I don't know what's nonviolent about killing babies in the womb. She was willing to accept scorn and abuse until the truth she saw was revealed to the millions. At the turn of the century, she went into the slums and set up a birth control clinic. And for this deed, she went to jail because she was violating an unjust law. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting. That clip, both of those clips we read or I, I played, we were talking about using preachers with engaging personalities to calm down the most rebellious of them. Who had a more engaging personality than Martin Luther King? You're going to go after a preacher. Why not go after the top dog? She launched a movement which is obeying a higher law to preserve human life under humane conditions. I wonder which law he's referring to, because it isn't biblical. Margaret Sanger had to commit what was then called a crime in order to enrich humanity. And today we honor her courage and vision. For without them, there would have been no beginning. Our sure beginning in the struggle for equality by nonviolent direct action may not have been so resolute without the tradition established by Margaret Sanger and people like her. Negroes have no mere academic nor ordinary interest in family planning. They have a special and urgent concern. We were having families way before Margaret Sanger came in uh, <clears throat> To, to be before Martin Luther King came in to be. You know, the black family was in danger, according to Senator Patrick Moynihan 
when it's reported in 1965, because 25% was illegitimate. Here's a year later, I don't hear Dr. King talking about the black family as far as keeping the family together from a, by what biblical godly efforts. He's talking about this, the efforts of this woman through birth control. Now, whether you believe in contraceptions or not, that's another story. But anytime the egg and the sperm unite, uh, they create a new being. That is not, uh, you know, there's, you know, if you can keep the egg separated from the sperm, you don't have that being. But, uh, but if they unite, that's 46 brand new chromosomes that never existed before. And left, left alone, that will be a person. Okay, let me see, where was I? Recently, the subject of Negro family life has received extensive attention. Maybe he's talking about Dr. Moynihan's report. Unfortunately, studies have overemphasized the problem of the Negro male ego and almost entirely ignore the most serious element, Negro migration. I don't know about the ego of the Negro male. There's nothing. The, the man is supposed to be the head of the house. And if you're not helping the man maintain his position as the patriarch, and you, you're going to end up with a matriarch society. And that's exactly what black folks have ended up with. Dr. King didn't live long enough to see that. <clears throat> when, in 1965, when, Dr. Mo I mean, when Patrick Moynihan's report came out, it was... Uh, he, he was upset because 25% of black families were, were run by a single parent, which was mostly women. Now it's almost 75%. So the, the, the only thing about the male ego is give the man the opportunity to do what he needs to do to take care of his family. But, our, but the great society under LBJ, it decided to help the black family by getting rid of the man. You know, now, Biology is biology, and people are going to do what they're going to do. So if you don't have a husband and a wife together as a unit, folks are going to have sex, and then you have these babies, and then you got babies raising babies, and then you got these boys being grown in these matriarchal societies where you end up seeing stupid stuff like today. Uh, I, I see on Netflix there's a movie that was in the show recently called The Woman King. But you know what? That's part of the course for the society because we have a society now where women can say they're, they're men or men, they're women. And this is what happened when you let stupid go uncontrolled. Uh, uh, where was I? Negro migration. During the past half century, Negroes have migrated on a mass scale, transplanting millions from rural communities to crammed urban ghettos. In their migration, as with all migration, they carried with them the folkways of the countryside into the inhospitable city slum. The size of family that may have been appropriate and tolerable on the manually cultivated farm was carried over to the jammed streets of the ghetto. In all respects, <clears throat> Negroes were atomized, neglected, and discriminated against. Yet the worst omission was the absence of institutions to acclimate them to their new environment. Margaret Sanger, who offered an important institutional remedy, was unfortunately ignored by social and political leaders in this period. What? What institutional remedy? Planned Parenthood? That, that's her remedy. Well, let's stop these folks from having babies. In consequence, Negro folkways and family size persisted. The um, problem was compounded when unrestrained exploitation 
and discrimination accented the bewilderment of the newcomer and high rates of illegitimacy and fragile family relations resulted. For the Negro, therefore, intelligent guides of family planning are a profoundly important ingredient in his quest for security and a decent life. You know, it's amazing reading this stuff from a preacher and not one mention of God and God's word and, and, and submitting to the authority of God's word. Not one word in here so far. There are mountainous obstacles still separating Negroes from the normal existence. Yet, one element in stabilizing his life would be an understanding of and easy access to the means to develop a family related in size to his community environment and to the income potential he can command. This is not to suggest that the Negro will solve all his problems through Planned Parenthood, God forbid. His problems are far more complex, encompassing economic security, education, freedom from discrimination, decent housing, and access to culture. What does that mean, access to culture? And notice nothing about God. Yet a family planning is sensible. It can facilitate or at least not be an obstacle to the solution of the many profound problems that plague him. The Negro constitute half of the poor of the nation. Like all poor, Negro and white, they have many unwanted children. All poor don't have many unwanted children. This is a cruel evil they urgently need to control. There is scarcely anything more tragic in human life than a child who is not wanted. There are people that want babies and are lined up for adoption agencies and waiting years to get one. We're killing babies by the bushel. Ah, uh, where am I? Lost my plaque. Okay. There is scarcely anything more tragic in human life than a child who is not wanted. That which should be a blessing becomes a curse for parent and child. There is nothing inherent in the Negro mentality which creates this condition. Their poverty causes it. When Negroes have been able to ascend economically, statistics reveal they plan their families with even greater care than whites. Negroes, are high of, Negroes of higher economic and educational status actually have fewer children than white families in the same circumstances. Some commentators point out that with present birth rates, it will not be long before Negroes are a majority in many of the major cities of the nation. As a consequence, they can be expected to take political control. And many people are apprehensive at this prospect. Negroes do not seek political control by these means. They seek only what they are entitled to and do not wish for domination purchased at the cost of human misery. Well, let me tell you, blacks are no longer the number one minority in the United States. Hispanics have overtaken us. And I would even venture to say the Hispanics that were here legally instead of the illegal folks that are, are brought in constantly. Because black folks have fell into the Planned Parenthood idea of killing off their babies. In some cases, we abort more babies than are born. I did a series on New York City. You know, that's easy to find that we killed, they're killing more babies than were born. From, from 20 to 20, what, 17? Every year, there were more abortions than births. Look up my series on that. Ah, blah, 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 blah. They seek only what they're entitled to do, entitled to, and do not wish for 
domination purchased at the cost of human misery. Negroes were once bred by slave owners to be sold as merchandise. They do not welcome any solution which involves population breeding as a weapon. Really? So why are we even dealing with Planned Parenthood? They are instinctively sympathetic to all who offer methods that will improve lives and offer them fair opportunity to develop and advance as all other people in our society. For these reasons, we are natural allies of those who seek to inject any form of planning in our society that enriches life and guarantees the right to exist in freedom and dignity. For these constructive movements, we are prepared to give our energies and consistent support because in the need for family planning, Negro and white have a common bond and together we can and should unite our strength for the wise preservation, not of races in general, but of the one race we all constitute, the human race. That was his speech. Um, it goes on and says, Margaret Sanger was too ill to attend the award ceremony in May 1966. She died the following September. <clears throat> Mrs. Sanger would have been deeply honored and pleased to have heard such a beautiful tribute from kindred heroes in the struggle for equality and civil rights. Dr. King and Mrs. Martin Luther King. I bet she would have loved that. About two weeks after the awards ceremony, Dr. King wrote the following letter to Cass Canfield, chairman of the executive committee of the Planned Parenthood, uh, I guess, foundation, I guess America, I'm not sure, World Population Emergency Campaign. Words are inadequate for me to say how honored I was to be the recipient of the Margaret Sanger Award. This award will remain among my most cherished possessions. While I cannot claim to be worthy of such a single honor, I can assure you that I accept it with deep humility and sincere gratitude. Such a wonderful expression of support is of inestimable value, value for the continuance of my humble efforts. Again, let me say how much I regret that at the last minute, urgent developments in the civil rights movement made it impossible for me to be in Washington to personally receive the award. My wife brought glowing accolades of the wonderful reception and impressiveness of the total occasion. I am happy to be the recipient of the Margaret Sanger Award and I can assure you that this distinct honor will cause me to work even harder for a reign of justice and a rule of love all over our nation. Sincerely yours, Martin Luther King Jr. Well, like I said, there was not one word honoring God, seeking God, uh, petitioning God, um, thanking God, acknowledging God, seeking nothing, not one word. It was all human. And the very first recipient, or one of the very first, I guess, Carl, Dr. Carl G. Hartman, General William H. Draper Jr., and President Lyndon Baines Johnson were also recipients. I don't think they were there, or I know I know Johnson wasn't there. I would have heard about it. 
But Johnson's the same guy that said, I'll have these niggas voting Democrat for the next 200 years. And he's the one that made the great society, which ultimately helped destroy the black family, did more damage to the black family than the Klan could ever think of. And Planned Parenthood is assisted in killing almost 20 million black babies since 1973. The greatest abortion provider in this nation. Where most of their provider um, abortuaries are in minority neighborhoods. And here, the greatest civil rights leader, as we know, was the recipient of the one of the first Margaret Sanger Awards. And obviously, he was quite pleased with obtaining it. And like I said, since he, based on the previous documentation, and I failed to see anything that changed my mind yet, didn't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, didn't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, didn't believe in the Godship, the son Godship of Jesus Christ. He was supposedly the pastor of a church, but he didn't believe the gospel. So, which tells me, answers my very first question, that he was not a Christian. And he was a man that was lined up with people who still today are the number one killers of babies in the womb. At any rate, I'm done. I've done my Martin Luther King thing. Um, it's time to move on. This is Sam Tolley, and I'm out.